Hi, my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello, my name is Liz Crow. And I'm Jesse Spur. And today we're joined by Tom Handy, who is the nurse navigator with the Uplate service. I was going to make a joke about the night in the museum because I think that's what it sort of sounds like. And sadly, Tom is outside the realm to have ever watched the film. (laughs) Welcome, Tom. Thank you for having me. And I I understand that is what Night Shift is like now. (laughs) Awesome. So before we get into kind of the details of what you do as your job now and then some of the tips for surviving after dark, um, we'd like to get to know your professional background a little bit. What has been your nursing journey? Uh, okay, so I'd say I've, I've been fairly fortunate in my career. So uh, it was a bit of a fell into studying, just I wasn't quite sure what else to do and it felt about right and here I am now, so it's worked out well. Um, I did about eight years up on one of the medical wards here and I, again, I think I was fairly fortunate just to fall into that job. Um, worked with a terrific numb there who I guess sort of I've learned a lot about nursing and I guess the bigger picture of nursing. So I've been really fortunate to have that opportunity um, and then I've been in the Uplate team now for about three years, which um, honestly I think is the best job in the hospital. So I'm really, really privileged. Oh, awesome. So that's been actually the first one that's really identified a mentor um, being quite formative, I suppose. And I think it's probably more of an oversight because we've all had had those mentors. What what was particularly shaping about that experience with that numb? I think, I guess the accountability and responsibility that we were given sort of as the clinical nurses in the area. So um, I think lots of those, um, I guess, manager level decisions and responsibilities we were given the opportunity to do um, with some good oversight and um, I guess a really nice safety net. Um, and I think what we were taught from, I guess, like as a, as a baby uh, clinical nurse was um, any decision we'd make, she'd have faith in. So um, if she's not here after dark, she'd be trusting about our decision and back that. So I guess you build up your decision-making skills that way, knowing that you've got full faith in you. So to explain to everybody out there, up late, does that mean you just work eternally nights? Um, after hours specifically. So uh, Monday to Friday morning as it stands, we don't exist at the hospital, but sort of come 4pm uh, in the afternoon, um, Monday to Friday, and then uh, so we're here till, through till 7am. Um, and then over the weekends and public holidays, being it's all after hours, we're, we're here the whole time. Um, so yes, lots of, about half my roster's night shift. So I guess that's why I'm here today. And so how do you make that work with your personal life? Um, it actually works really well in that I'm not a great morning person. So it's nice to have those sleep-ins. Um, and then just, uh, I guess in, in my personal circumstances, it actually works really well, sort of having that flexibility and keeping that shift work. Um, I actually do like night shift. So I guess it's easy in that sense and why it's a bit of a, maybe this job's a bit of a calling. Um, which I know that's not for everyone. Um, so I guess it's, it's not much of an effort, I suppose, is the, the short answer. Great. So 
I guess to make it a bit tangible for listeners outside of Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital and probably even within, what, what sort of stuff do you do in the Up Late service? Uh, okay, so as a very, I guess, brief overview of what Up Late is, it's the whole point is bringing a, a multidisciplinary team-based approach to after-hours care, um, given during the day we have lots and lots of different teams being your allied health, medical and nursing um, everyone's sort of living in their own silos. All of that goes away and then it's sort of one big beast. So having some oversight over that. Um, so we're buddied up with one of the senior medical registrars and it's a very proactive approach to, I guess, the at-risk patients, the patients that are at risk of deteriorating. So trying to intervene before the deterioration, I guess, is our gold standard. Um, and then, as I say, so there's a lot less staff after hours and with that mostly or a lot more junior staff. So giving that bit of oversight and support um, both for the nursing and medical colleagues, um, some teaching, some skills, and then I guess trying to bridge those gaps that exist being we just have less staff and less um, experienced staff given the patient needs don't change. Yeah, terrific. So when we've spoken to our new grads, a lot of them have just said how hard, how much of a slog night duty is, how much they dread it. Um, you're someone who loves it and has obviously thrived. Your number one is on how to survive night shifts, self-care. You're the expert. Take, it a, take us away and, and teach us. Um, yeah, okay. So as you say, not everyone thrives with it. So I think it's... Um, taking time to find um, the balance and some routine with that for yourself. So most of us working across most of your clinical areas, um, unless you're fortunate enough to fall in somewhere that doesn't do night shift, you're probably going to be doing between three and five a month for the rest of your career. So it's something worth taking the time to find what works for you. Um, so I'd say have a chat with whoever does the roster in your area early on and just try a few different options. So some people like to do one per week. So you finish your week with a night every week. Um, or a couple of fortnight every other week or just do one big block and sort of a week of nights together. So I guess just experiment with that and find what works for you personally and for your personal life, given obviously everyone's got different circumstances. So finding what fits fits that. Um, I guess like every shift in every job, you need to be well rested coming in and be sleeping well. So if you don't sleep um, coming into your morning shift, you're going to feel rotten and you're not going to be performing at your best. So the same thing applies overnight. So um, finding some good strategies to help you sleep during the day. Though it's harder to sleep, um, I say all the same principles apply. So if you finished a night shift and you sit on your phone doom scrolling for a couple of hours before you try and go to sleep, you're not going to have a high quality sleep. So putting away your screens, having a good rest before you get to bed, making the environment as comfortable as you can. So darken things by closing the doors, closing the curtains, Close your windows up to make it as quiet as you can, acknowledging sometimes your housemates are also going to be making some noise. You can't help the builders next door, so changing things you can. Um, I personally pop a mask on to um, make it a bit darker and sleep with some earplugs. Um, and then just and being cognizant of your climate as well. So if it's the middle of summer, you're going to need a fan or some air conditioning or a nice big doona in winter. So um, I guess just making those changes that you actually can. Do you have any tips around eating and night shift? Because I hear all these kind of theories about don't eat anything heavy on a night shift and then people who just survive night shift by eating nonstop, uh, you know, lollies and food to, to stay awake, caffeine, like what what's your advice? Um, again, I think it's probably going to be a personal thing and like you say, it's how you personally survive it. Um, I guess now that I do more and more night shift um, – 
I'm less reliant on caffeine because I guess it's just a routine, whereas that was where I first started drinking coffee, which I love now. Um, so I think probably the best advice is look after yourself. So on one hand, you're going to have all the comfort foods because you're not loving life. Um, but equally, this is going to be a big part of your life moving forward. So trying to keep that healthy balance. Um, if you're going to have your coffees and your caffeinated sugary drink of choice, try not to have that too late in the morning. So you need to peak so you can give a nice clear handover and then also drive home safely, but also you don't want to be then laying in bed buzzing for the next couple of hours. So I think it's just finding that happy medium. Um, like I say, you're going to have your comfort foods, whether or not you have dinner when you go home at 7am or if you want to call that breakfast, I guess just find what makes it feel right for you. I I would say I tend to have traditional meals. So I still have cereal in the morning and then a nice big hearty meal at night, but you want to do it the other way around there's no I guess there's no problem whatever makes you feel good great okay can you take us to your second point which is around the importance of communicating well with ward call yeah so um, I guess to clarify so at the Royal Brisbane I, I, I don't know if every hospital calls the same so ward call I'm referring to the the after hours on call doctor um, so a couple of things to be mindful of um, to start with so um, much like a lot of our listenership, I suppose, these doctors are in the formative part of their career as well. So you can have doctors from having oh, six weeks and a few months experience to probably a maximum of about three years. So it's, um, it's a big undertaking and a lot of responsibility. Um, each of the ward calls here are looking after sort of more than 100 patients. They get a handover of very few of them. So I guess assume they don't know this patient when you're chatting to them. Um, in addition to their 100-odd patients, they're also responding to all the medical emergencies as well. So, like I say, it's a it's a huge workload. Um, and that's not to say what we're doing on the ward isn't, but I guess just keeping that in mind when you're not getting that timely response, um, there's probably a reason for that most of the time. Um, to speak specifically at the Royal, um, contacting your ward call, we use Patient Flow Manager, so an online IT system where you can type your job in so you can actually put quite a bit of detail um, other than that, it's your traditional paging method if it's something a bit more urgent. Um, what I would advocate is not contacting the switchboard and trying to get put through to a mobile phone. Um, I think all of us can imagine if it's you're doing your observations, you're drawing up medications, chatting with a family. If someone's ringing your phone while you're trying to do that, firstly, it's really disruptive and then it's going to take more time. So trying to, I guess, escalate by speaking them directly is only going to slow down the process for yourself or your next colleague who's also waiting um, to have that conversation. So if you're struggling with escalation, we have escalation strategies here, which is effectively just going one rung up the ladder. So chat to your registrar or then to consultants. Um, also as the uplate team, that's part of us, we can help with that escalation. So if you've got a concern that you just can't communicate, um, if you give us a buzz, we can also help escalate that as well. Um, as for your actual handover or communication, whether it be sort of onto your patient flow where it's a, a written handover or on the phone or face-to-face, -face, um, using those structured handover tools, so an S-bar or an IS-bar, um, I think that's the easiest way to have a, a concise and succinct quality handover. Um, I'll run through a quick example of that, but I think if you want a really, really good rundown, if you go back to listen to, I think it was the second episode with Shania, um, she's going to give a much better explanation of an SBAR than I ever will. So I just go spend half an hour on that. Um, in our context, I think thinking about your situation is why are you contacting the doctor? So what is the point of this referral? Um, so whether that be a new pain, new confusion, or your 
add. So a cumulative um, observation requires escalation. If it is something that, so here saying a Q adds a four, um, actually give a bit of context. So what is the changes or what are the observations? Because like I say, if they don't know the patient, saying Q adds four for Mr. Smith in Ward C, that's not particularly helpful. So just giving a bit of context. Looking at the background then also, why is the patient here, I guess, is the first thing. And then just some relevant history. You don't need to list off all of the comorbidities. Um, your assessment, so what observations and interventions you've done, um, how does the patient look, how are they feeling? And I guess the other thing is, are you concerned? Which is always a really key factor. Um, and with your recommendations, it's really crucial. So aside from setting out your situation of why you're talking to them, your recommendation is what are you actually expecting from this? There's plenty of times where it's just a, just notifying you because that's what I'm, our policy tells us we have to do or I'd like a phone order for some medication or please review this patient when you have time or please review them urgently. Um, if you're not quite sure if it needs a review, it's always a conversation to have with um, your team leader or within the ward uh, or once again, we're always here to help. So happy to hear after hours and support that escalation. Um, this is such a valuable point. I'm doing a junior doctor wellbeing um, research project at the moment and ward call is consistently the area that these junior doctors and they do have 100 plus patients. They're often very new in their career. They're trying to triage 36 to 50 referrals at mm. any given time. So I think what you're signposting very clearly is if you make contact, be very clear why and request what it is that you want and if it's just a fi you know fyi maybe hold off and have a conversation with your team leader and let someone else know that something has yeah, changed definitely. before you go to the next level yeah no I, I would definitely agree with that um but i guess the the other thing i'd say is which we'll come to a bit later on that early escalation is always great too so if yeah. you're not sure you're better off asking for help definitely but also like you say if it's something that you know isn't urgent. Like, for instance, um, often it's one of these things that if something the home team hasn't got around to, that it's a morning insulin dose or medications, like, oh, would you mind charting this tonight? That's going to be pretty low on the priority list, so you probably don't need to dive in and do that first thing, that that's something sort of much later in the morning to see how everyone's night's going. Okay. Yeah. So how you were saying, Liz, with um, the doctors trying to triage, I think from a, a really simple nursing perspective is when you've got three different buses going off in three different rooms, you don't know what that is until you get in there. So trying to figure out what to see. So the more information you can give, then you know where to go first and how urgent that is. So your third point is, you know, particularly at night, sometimes less is more. What do you mean by that? Less is more is sometimes just better for your patient to do nothing and let them rest. Um, as we were saying how important it is for us to come to work uh, well rested and having a good sleep, most of the patients you're going to be looking after here are unwell um, and they need to recover and sleep is a big part of that recovery. For lots of different reasons, you can't sleep in hospital and we don't make that easy. So I guess when we have the opportunity, just giving them the opportunity to sleep is a really, really crucial part of their recovery. Um, so same principles for us, making the environment as conducive to sleep as we can. Um, again, acknowledging it's a hospital, it's not that simple. But dimming the lights so it's not bright lights uh, 24 hours a day, um, having a nice quiet environment. Um, you'll be amazed to know how far your travel can, uh, how far your noise can travel from the nurse's station. So one, just being aware of the noise generally and then also probably the content of your conversation um, it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. I think lots of patients have learned a lot more about some nurses' private lives than they yeah, ever had yeah. hoped to. Yes, uh, me too. Um, 
Um, so with that, so I say like dimming your lights, but again, acknowledging a lot of patients here are false risks as well. So having that safety in your environment, but I guess making the best of both worlds or finding that um, nice equilibrium. Um, being opportunistic with your interventions, I guess, is probably the most simple way of putting this. So combining interventions when you can. So lots of the things we'll do are time sensitive, but lots aren't. So I guess just looking at your patient as a whole rather than just looking at the routine of your shift. So if someone needs, for instance, observations taken at midnight, um, but they've got an antibiotic due at two o'clock and that's a once daily dose, that's something that an hour here either side, it's really not going to matter in the grand scheme. So if you can bring those two things together, whether that be they both fall at one or bring your antibiotic forward till midnight at the same time, then doing your toileting and pressure area care, it's going to be time that you get back. So it's going to make your life a bit easier, but also then that gives your patient that sort of two or three hour break where they can actually switch off and have a good rest. Um, with that, I'd say also just communicating that with your patient. So when I was working the wards, what I always used to say was, we'll do X, Y, and Z now. I'll stick my head in each hour. Here's your buzzer. If you need me, let me know. Otherwise, I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. Um, acknowledging again, it's not always that simple and sometimes you're going to be coming back to bother more frequently. So I guess being upfront and honest with that, that it's going to be a busy night. We need to do hourly blood sugars or hourly obs or I'm quite worried about you so I'm going to be checking on you. Um, not every patient is still going to love being woken up but at least they're aware of what the I guess the plan is for the night. Um, similarly, coming into like the later, later hours of the morning and the end of your shift, patients starting to get up and needing to go to the toilet, whether they're going independently or you're helping them, that's a great opportunity then to be getting your daily ways or your weekly way, jumping in with those again non-time sensitive medications, like just a daily dose that doesn't require to go with food, like your thyroxins, that sort of thing. You can do your medication, do some obs, you've done your way. And if the patient wants to sit out of bed, that's all of your jobs done from six o'clock um, and that might be at 4.30 in the morning. And also that's the patient set up for the morning shift as well. So your daytime colleagues will be set as well. So again, just being really, um, I guess having that foresight, which will come with some experience, but just being opportunistic and combining as many interventions as you can and say it's time for your patient to rest and time you'll keep for yourself. So there's a really natural segue between point three, which was sometimes less is more. And I guess drawing in on that quality care is often efficient, as well yep. as good yep. for the patient. Um, so you're going to talk to us in point four about making the most of your time. So is that expanding on what you just said a little bit or something a bit different? Uh, I mean, it, uh, I guess it's the other side of the same coin as well yeah. as I'd look at it. So I guess these are a lot of the one percenters. So when you have a little bit of extra spare time, which this is one of those things that I really like about night shift, that often it's either acute care or you've got a bit more time to spend on, uh, like I say, the one percenters, whether that be some like really dignified patient care or if they're resting, just to step away and look at the big picture. So I think the main thing, uh, well, the first thing I'd be looking at is taking some time to look through your patient's care record. So if you're paper-based, reading the chart or popping onto whatever system you're using just to get a look at their patient history. So a couple of things with that. So when you're looking at, I guess, the chronic conditions of your patient or sort of what they are at baseline, um, with a bit of experience, you'll see that this patient who looks like this and the next time you see someone else with the same conditions, over time you start building up a bit of a knowledge base. You'll see them walking down the hallway or coming into hospital and say, they've probably got these conditions. Mm. These are the things I need to start looking at or like things to be mindful of. So it gives you a chance to build up your knowledge and experience in looking after particularly chronic conditions in that sense. 
Um, other than that, so looking and say looking at your patient story. So what's been happening with all of your allied health reviews? So what's been happening in the previous days? What are their recommendations? Procedures that have occurred or that are going to occur? And then just taking the opportunity to uh, one update any of your clinical handover tools. So usually your nursing handover. Um, but also then taking the time to prepare your handover, which again, I'd say using an S-bar is just the easiest thing to do. Um, when you're fatigued, trying to think and trying to speak is really hard. So actually taking the time to prepare that handover for in the morning when the sun's bright and everyone's staring at you. So actually being prepared, um, sort of you're on a little bit of a, a stage there and everyone's just waiting for you to perform. So knowing what you're going to say is really, really helpful. Um, the other thing then uh, more clinically is uh, so going through your patient's chart, obviously, but all of your, your fluid balances, drain outputs, your ICCs, whatever that might be, they're really time-consuming and difficult to get done across sort of the 24-hour continuum to do them accurately. So if yourself and your colleagues have taken the time to do that, actually doing the summary is sort of the, the sign-off and what's really, really important. There's no point in documenting your drain outputs or your urine outputs all day if then it sort of doesn't mean anything at the end, it's just occurred. So again, it gives you that chance to sort of tally up and I guess marry that with what you see with your patients. So if they have no drain output for the last six hours, maybe that's an indication that drains might be ready to come out or coming out shortly or alternatively looking at your fluid side of things. If someone's been running positive fluid balances for days and days and days and all of a sudden you see that they're uh, more short of breath, have an oxygen requirement, Again, just marrying those things together, that could just be an indication of fluid overload. Um, again, then that becomes a decision. Is that something you need to discuss with your ward call overnight or just a handover to the morning teams? But again, just taking the time to look at that. Um, the other advice then would be just think about what it's like working your morning shift or a day shift and what, what makes your shift disjointed and what would make your life easier. So if there's just those little things that you do have time for, these aren't necessarily priorities in your night shift, but when you do have some downtime, it's really, really uh, important and very helpful for your colleagues. And I guess these are the things that they probably won't recognise that you have done, but they're the things that they'll notice if you haven't. So simple things like having a linen skip that's actually empty and not overflowing first thing of a morning is really, really helpful and nothing ruins your day more than trying to do everything at eight o'clock and then finding just a pile of linen. Um, so little things like that, or if you've used the last glove, just putting one box of gloves in isn't that big of a deal. You don't need to restock your entire ward. So just little things like that. Um, and the only other thing is like a bit of professional development. And I know night shift is not the best time to be sitting down reading textbooks and studying. Um, the advice I got as a grad was every single shift, take the opportunity to read your handover, pick out one condition or one word you don't know and research that. If you do that every shift, you're going to learn four or five things a week every or every week of your career. Um, and again, that knowledge builds quite quickly. So it's really, really worth um, making the most of that time. I guess the other thing that Night Shift does give you sometimes is that little bit of extra time to zoom out and have a, have a look at uh, are we doing things just because they've been started on day one is there stuff we can stop doing is there cannulas that can come out is there these sorts of things as well because we often think of um when we do go in and do a deep dive it's about finding things we're missing mm. but sometimes it's actually about taking away some of the stuff that are portals for harm does this patient need an idc still uh, and queue up though that question list for the for the morning for when their home team does their round yeah, no, that's, that's actually a really, really great point that I've, I've 
now that I've stepped away from the ward, I've completely forgot. But no, that, I mean, that, and like you say, that's where you'll get some time back as well. That, like I say, doing your fluid balances takes time. If that's not necessary and you take that out, you're going to get time back in your day. Um, and like you say, all these um, invasive and indwelling devices, they're all infection risks for the patient. So the sooner they can come out, the better. To finish with your number five point um, around escalation of deterioration. We know with our, you know, more junior nursing staff that escalation of the deteriorated patient is quite a stressful event. It's stressful during the day. I can't imagine what it's like trying to make that decision in the, you know, dead of night when you you don't have a relationship with the doctors and things on ward call. What's your tips around that? Um, Yeah, so obviously very, very important. And I guess ultimately that's why we're here, like looking after sick people. Um, I actually feel it's much easier to escalate um, after hours and overnight than during the day because there's just really defined escalation processes. So if you're on Ward A, you talk to Dr. A. Um, and if you can't get a hold of Dr. A, it's Dr. B. Yeah, right. Whereas during the day, it's uh, what team's looking after this patient, which resident's working today, who's their registrar, or if there's a covering. And there's, it's just it can be quite convoluted, whereas night shift is pretty simple that it's, it's, it's usually quite a defined pathway. Um, with that, as we've already touched on, just being really succinct with your communication, whether that be sort of a, a written handover or um, your actual verbal handover with the doctor. Um, once you've escalated, I guess the, the point of this brings back to patient-centred care. Once you've escalated, that's not the job done. That's the start of the process. So closing the loop with your patient. So whether that be um, I've had a chat with the doctor trying to get some more pain relief or just letting you know you're a bit tachycardic at the moment, we're a bit worried, so we just ask the doctor to come and see you. They'll be here when they're able. Also, it's one of those things that's nice just to let the patient know, as we've discussed, that sometimes it might take a bit of time. So they'll probably come just after you've fallen asleep, which is always the case, unfortunately. Um, but again, just teeing that up with the patient and closing that loop of communication. Um, I say empower yourself as a nurse and back yourself that there's so much stuff that we can do that you don't need to wait for the doctor for. So as an example, whatever your concern is, popping back and continuing your assessment of the patient, um, looking at that sort of head to toe or A to E assessment, what things can you do in the immediate, uh, immediate term waiting for the doctor? So whether it's an airway concern, if it's your tracheostomy, making sure that you've done your tracheocares, you're happy. If it's someone who's got breathing concerns, sitting them up and sort of allowing their lungs to expand and making it, I guess, as easy to ventilate. If they're hypoxic, popping on some oxygen. Um, If it's circulation stuff, if they're hypotensive, laying them down, putting feet up in the air. Um, With, um, you know, your tachycardia and bradycardia, um, the first question is always going to be, have you done an ECG? So you don't need to be wait to be asked for that to go ahead and do that um, and in, in the event there's a one time they say we don't need to see this it's always good practice anyway so just be mindful of the things that you can do whilst you're waiting for the for the doctor um, I guess echoing the thoughts um, Laura with her five things on chest pain was saying that um, I would much sooner hear about the five patients I don't need to hear about with your escalation than miss the one that I really needed to hear so if in doubt always ask and always escalate Um, which I guess moves then nicely into the medical emergency situation. So um, some of this is specific to nights, but most of it is, I guess, broad across across your just emergencies on the wards in particular. Um, So I think every facility will have a slight variation of what you call the team. I think here we have a MERT team, others have a MET or a rapid response or an ICU outreach. Ultimately, this is to provide a rapid emergency review of your patient um, on the ward. Um, 
something I'm really passionate about is sort of, I guess, a change change of terminology or how we actually think about this. Um, what I've found um, across my career is a real um, – we do it because we have to do that because our chart tells us. So we call the MERT team, which is pick up the phone and make that phone call. Um, and often I guess it's like almost like a defence mechanism that we had to do this, so sort of sorry for putting you out. Whereas I think if you flip the terminology and we're activating a MERT response or the MERT team because that's what our patient requires, it makes it a really, really simple decision whether or not the patient – looks very unwell or it is just your cumulative ads and the this is what you're required to do, this is what the patient's care needs. Um, if your medical team doesn't feel that's the case, there's ways to, I guess, alter your calling criteria and then, then that doesn't make an emergency situation. But that's the decision you have to make at the time and that's what your patient needs. So I think that's really simple if you take it back and think of it in those terms. Um, as we said, early escalation is always good escalation. The worst thing that can happen is the team turns up and say, things are fine, we're going now. Um, that's never hurt anyone. And once again, it's that one where we should have come a bit earlier and we didn't know about that's going to be the problem. Um, if someone gives you some feedback that they feel it wasn't a, an appropriate um, activation, I guess my, my message would be that they're the problem, not you. So don't, don't think about that the next time you're wondering, should you call? Overnight in particular, we do have a small amount of staff. So just being mindful of what roles everyone can take. So as soon as you make that call, someone needs to be preparing a handover. So once again, just a, a really short S bar is your situation is what is this MERT for? Background is why is the patient in hospital? Your assessment are what are the OBS? The recommendation is everyone's already coming to review. So don't worry too much about that one. But other things just to keep in mind, if you're not going to be giving a handover, someone needs to be documenting the events Someone needs to be doing some hands-on care, so the observations and giving medications, and ideally you have a runner as well who can come in and out. Um, being mindful, some wards actually don't even have that many nurses overnight, so your co-located wards um, can come. So if you press that little red button on the wall that says emergency, um, it'll sound the local alarm. People will always come to that. Very easy to switch that off and say, hey, we're okay here, we just need one extra nurse. Would someone mind staying from your ward? Whether that be to look after the rest of the patients and just answer some buzzes or be involved in your emergency. So I think just being mindful there's always someone to help. So say don't don't suffer quietly. This is a little bit of a tangent, but it kind of loops back to, I guess, the workload and the scarcity of resources and the stuff that gets queued up into ward calls jobs. If there was one skill that is a skill or procedure or something that nurses could develop that can be taken out of that ward call what would you say you've done you've got basic competency you got through your grade you're looking for what's that next thing that i can just level up that's going to make my life my patient's life and ward calls easier by acquiring a skill or something yeah um i mean i guess the simple and probably the accurate answer is your your vena puncture and cannulation um off the top of my head, I can't remember what the what the numbers are, but it's it's a really massive load. Um, it's one of these things too that when your device fails, so if your cannula, if it's a delirious patient, it's fallen out or it's uh, tissued and infiltrated, there's almost always going to be a delay in care. So as much as um, reducing workload, um, it's a really good skill to have um, respectfully um, – whether it be the ward call or the doctors, it's a skill they're doing, I guess, under duress or um, uh, with great time pressures. And there's not always that care that goes into that really long-lasting quality device. Whereas I think as nurses, that's 
that's our bread and butter is trying to make a really, I guess, a good outcome for your patient. So you take the time to do those devices well. Um, so I think that's that's probably the, I guess, the simplest answer. So you can uh, avoid those delays in care as much as anything, which is obviously going to have a better outcome for your patient. Similarly with like the vena puncture, often just waiting for just a one one blood test or your patients on heparin infusions in particular that need blood tests two and three and four times a night. It's something that for, for the doctor to run back to your wound do that, it does take time. And unfortunately, these things are just delayed often. Awesome. I, I think that's such a comprehensive um, five things of things that we need to understand for night shift. So I'm going to have a go at pulling that all together. Help me out if I get stuck. So number one was really around surviving night shift. And I think the point that you were making is it is individual um, so have a go in your early career about what works for you in terms of patterning your night shifts across a roster. Um, what's it like if you do one a week or if you cluster five together or you spread them out? What works for you best about optimising your sleep? Um, make sure that you create a good sleep environment, that it's dark and it's cool, don't have too much caffeine, stay off your phone, all the things that we tell you also about getting a good night's sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, then communicating with ward call, you, you made the very important point that ward call are often also very junior medical mm. staff. They've often got 100 plus patients um, and they're trying to triage what they need to do, what's most urgent. So be succinct in your communication, um, provide a handover using an SBAR or another tool to really shape what it is that you want to say. Explain why you've called them and what your action is yeah. because if you know, if they've got a heavy mental load, it might be hard for them to kind of differentiate what needs to happen. Number three is sometimes less is more. Sleep is really important to our patients. So cluster cares together. Use our common sense. Don't do a blood pressure at 11.30, wake at 12 for an antibiotic, come back in at one and, and do eye drops. You know, if you can cluster those things together, that would be really helpful and it allows your patient to rest and it also causes creates efficiencies of time for you. Number four was make the most of your time. Uh, and Jesse also, you know, pointed out here, you know, while you're looking after patients at night, particularly if things are, are quietening down, is there something you, you can recommend that the next day is stopped, it doesn't seem necessary, a drain or et cetera, that, that is no longer bubbling away? Um, Know your patient's baseline so that you can make a decision overnight quickly about what you need to do. Um, tally up your fluids in and out so that you actually know what it is that you're looking at and you can pick anything that is going wrong or right. Set up your day staff really well. Mm. You know, Make them love you by <laughs> putting in a box of gloves, making sure the, the linen, you know, those practicalities are done. It's like going to the toilet, isn't it, and finding that the roll hasn't been replaced. Same thing with your patients. Um, and I love this point about professional development. You know, if you, as a new graduate, if every day if you think I've never heard of this term before or I don't know what this disease, to just take five minutes to work it out and then over the course of your career how intelligent you will be. <laughs> And I feel like I'm out of breath. It was such a great <laughs> podcast. And finally, your last point was escalation of de deterioration. So, you know, if you are really concerned, call out really quickly. Um, then again, be ready with your communication. Have a succinct handover about 
why why you're calling it a, a Merck call, what it is that you want people to do. And then while you're waiting for that team or help to arrive, what is it that you have the power and skills to do about making your patient comfortable or getting them ready or getting a resus trolley, uh, et cetera? Wow, what a great <laughs> podcast. I feel like I've spoken the longest I have in summary because it was just so fantastic. Um, thanks for coming out during the day <laughs> to talk to Glad us. Glad you didn't spontaneously combust. The <laughs> no, the sun, the sun is burning my skin, but that's fine. <laughs> Tom, that's been wonderful. Thanks very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at Liz Crow 2 and for me it's inject underscore orange we would absolutely love to hear your thoughts ideas or feedback thanks for listening to five things 